Amen. Well, I wonder if we could turn um, in our Bibles tonight the um, Psalm 125. It's another short one, uh, but we're reading through these Psalms anyway. But the Psalm 125, and we'll read from the verse 1 of the chapter. The Psalm 125, and beginning at verse 1. They that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot be removed, but abideth forever. As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people from henceforth, even forever. For the rod of the wicked shall not rest on the lot of the righteous, lest the righteous put forth their hands unto iniquity. Do good, O Lord, unto those that be good, and to them that are upright in their hearts. As for such as turn aside unto their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them forth with the workers of iniquity. But peace shall be upon Israel. Amen. We know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word to all of our hearts. Now, we've been looking at these songs of degrees, and we have uh, thought about how that these would have been songs that are sung as the pilgrims were making their way up to the temple, up to the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of uh, Pentecost or uh, some of the, the Passover as well, uh, some of these feasts of the Lord. And as the Jewish pilgrims would have made their way up to Jerusalem, they would have sung these songs. We think about the boy uh, Jesus, when the Lord Jesus was about 12 years of age, we read about one of these pilgrimages as Mary and Joseph took uh, their son or Mary's son up to Jerusalem. And remember how that he spoke to the, uh, the doctors of the law and debated with them there in the temple. And I'm sure there were probably two things that the pilgrims, particularly in the day of the Lord Jesus, would have thought about. The first, of course, was their joy in being able to go and praise God, their joy in being able to go into the house of God. When we looked at Psalm 122, it says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. So there's that sense of joy as the pilgrims are making their way up to these feasts and to these times of gathering where they would meet together and especially as they praise the Lord. But we think of the time when the Lord Jesus was going up and the other thought as they went to Jerusalem probably was the fact that it was occupied. At that time, the Antonia Fortress was very prominent in the city of Jerusalem and they would have been very conscious of the fact that the Romans had taken over the city. And of course, at other times in the history of the children of Israel, in the Babylonian captivity, uh, the Babylonians had captured the city. In other times, when the uh, enemy had come in like a flood. And you'll notice how the psalmist here speaks about his joy, really, in going to the uh, up to Mount uh, Zion and what Zion was. It was like the mountains round about. It was a place of safety. But he also in verse 3 says, 
for the rod of the wicked shall not rest upon the lot of the righteous. So there, the two things are there. There is the uh, comfort in being in Jerusalem, but also there is the thought there of the rod of the wicked. And the rod of the wicked then is the challenge here. In, as he goes to Jerusalem, he's conscious of the rod of the wicked and the instruments of wickedness that are in that place. And we come in this day uh, as the people of God. We come to worship God. We're glad that we still have freedom to come and to worship God. But we're also too conscious of the rod of the wicked. The rod there really uh, is a measuring rod. And the thought here is of the wicked measuring up the lot of the righteous and measuring it up in order to take it over and to uh, occupy it and to, to take it away from the people of God. And we think in this day of the uh, desires and the plans and purposes of the devil and the enemies of the gospel uh, to rob us of our freedoms, to preach the word of God and our freedoms to make known the unsearchable riches of Christ and we are in a day of challenge. And really, this is what the um, Psalm 125 is about. Here he is, and he's going up to the house of God, and he's going to worship God, but he's also conscious of the challenge that comes from the wicked and from the rod of wickedness. And so, it's in many ways an up-to-date psalm. It's a psalm that we can identify with in many ways, and we can see what the psalmist is um, he's facing here in this day when he writes the psalm. So here is a psalm written to people under wicked rule, but here's the encouragement God will protect, God will keep, God will care for those who trust him even in such a day. So Psalm 125 is a psalm of challenge, but it's also a psalm of assurance. And we can be encouraged as we get the message from the psalm here this evening. So let's, without further ado then, get into the psalm and let's see some of the messages that come forth uh, from the psalm as it is before us. And first of all, I want you to see the promise to God's persecuted. Look at verses 1 to 3 of the psalm. They that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot be removed, but abideth forever. As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people from henceforth even forever. For the rod of the wicked shall not rest upon the lot of the righteous, and the righteous shall put forth their hands, or lest the righteous should put forth their hands unto iniquity. Now, you'll see that the people that are addressed here are they that trust in the Lord. And they that trust in the Lord, of course, is an Old Testament phrase, and it means those that have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, we see how the uh, description of them is further developed there. Uh, in verse 2, you'll see that the Lord surrounds these people, uh, and uh, you have another name for them in the, uh, the end of the psalm. If you look at verse uh, 4 there, uh, 
uh, do good unto those that be good. So these are the good. These are the people that trust in the Lord. And there's no sense of these people being perfect in any way. Uh, the goodness that they have comes from God. There's none that doeth good. We're told in the book of Romans, no, not one. And the only goodness that we have comes from the Lord. So it's very evident who these people are. They are those that um, are the Lord's. So what does it say about those that trust in the Lord and those that have the righteousness of God? Well, you'll notice that there is the promise of stability here. Those that trust in the Lord, he says, shall be as Mount Zion. Now, Mount Zion, of course, is a symbol of stability and a, a symbol of strength. Mount Zion is the, the mountain on which the city of Jerusalem sits. So, to God's people, it was a symbol of stability. It was a symbol of the presence of God. It was in a position where it was not going to move. You're not going to move a mountain very easily. And we think of how the Lord here promises that we're going to be like Mount Zion. In the historical context here, you know that uh, Jerusalem, uh, probably the Psalms here were uh, written about the time of the um, Babylonian captivity or when they'd come back from it. So he's not saying that Jerusalem was never captured. He's not saying that there wasn't a time when Jerusalem was under in any danger, or it, it wasn't in any danger, for it was at times. But what he is saying, even though there's danger, and even though sometimes the city of Jerusalem came into captivity and was overrun by foreign armies, yet the Lord was still there. The Lord was looking after his people. As Psalm 46, verses, six to, or verses 4 to 7 remind us, there is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. The heathen raised, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. So even though the heathen were raging and the earth was moving, and the earth was melting, he says, the Lord of hosts is with us. And so he says, there's nothing to fear. There's not nothing to get you down. You shouldn't be uh, discouraged. Uh, you might go through difficult times, but the Lord is with us. And there you have that sense of stability. No matter what happens, no matter what uh, winds may blow, or how the earth may be shaken, we have that uh, wonderful promise of stability that the Lord is there. But not only is there a promise of stability, but there's a promise of surrounding. He says, as the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people from henceforth, even forever. So not only are the lake um, Mount Zion, but as the mountains are round about Mount Zion, as there are mountains surrounding Mount Zion. Mount Zion actually wasn't really the highest mountain in that range. 
but Jerusalem actually really is surrounded by hills and mountains. You have the Mount of Olives on one side, on the east side of the city. On the southwest, you have the Hill of Offense or the Mount of Offense, uh, so-called because of the idolatries of Solomon. He had some of his temples and idolatries were um, made up there. And then uh, you have on the south the Hill of uh, the Evil Council, uh, and it's called that because the house of Caiaphas was there where the Lord Jesus really was condemned to death. So you have on the three sides, on the north, actually, the terrain is a little bit flatter, but the, the uh, psalmist here is using poetic license, and really the mountains are almost surrounding the city of Jerusalem. And he says, it's like the Lord holding you in his hand. His hand is cupped around you. And here the pilgrim poet is speaking about the nestling mountains or the hills or the Mount Zion nestling amongst the hills. And God has us in his enfolding arms. And the psalmist says that uh, we are enfolded in the arms of God. You think of the uh, words of St. Patrick's breastplate. It says, uh, it, it says the chorus, Christ be with me. Christ within me, Christ behind me, Christ before me, Christ beside me, Christ to win me, Christ to comfort and restore me, Christ in hearts of all that love me, Christ in mouth of friend and stranger. And it's just like that, Christ in us, Christ around us, Christ uh, to restore us, Christ beneath us, and Christ is all in all, and he lifts us up, and we're surrounded by his love and by his mercy. So you have um, the promise of stability. We're like the mountain, and like the mountain of Jerusalem, we are surrounded by that bulwark, the great hills, and they're going to be a big defense. They're almost like a wall. Uh, if any enemy comes, he's got to climb the hill before he gets at Jerusalem, and then he has to climb the other hill as he comes to Jerusalem. So uh, Jerusalem was a great defensive place, and so we are defended by the mighty arm of God. Then there's another promise here, is a promise of safeguard, because he goes on there in uh, verse 3. He says, For the rod of the wicked shall not rest upon the lot of the righteous. Now, we have said that the rod here probably is the measuring rod. And the rod uh, of the wicked, he's come to measure up, uh, as you would measure up a new house uh, to see how your furniture will fit or um, what uh, kind of fitments you want in. This is the way they're coming to measure us up, measure up, uh, to seize and to take control. But the psalmist says, the rod of the wicked shall not rest upon the lot of the righteous. And here uh, you think of Naboth's vineyard. Remember Jezebel and Ahab and how Jezebel uh, made a false claim about Naboth in order to uh, confiscate his vineyard and take his vineyard. And that's what the uh, ungodly want to do. They want to take possession of God's people's territory. And in many ways, 
They have done that in this day. They want to have their counselors and they want to have uh, their uh, provision of charity and so on. Always were the province of God's people in days gone by. Uh, They've taken the schools that were the province of God's people in a day gone by. You think of in Islamic countries where uh, Christians are often charged with a predatory tax. And we uh, think of many places where uh, they want God's people to be taken advantage of. But the psalmist is not concerned about God's people because he says that the rod of the wicked shall not come nigh the people of God. It doesn't mean uh, that there won't be times of... uh, when, when, the, when the wicked do come in. But it does mean that God is there to be with us in the midst of it. But I want you to see that in the meantime, the psalmist is a little bit worried about God's people because he says, for the rod of the wicked shall not rest upon the lot of the righteous, lest the righteous put forth his hands unto iniquity. And this is the danger. When we're being attacked by the enemies, and when they're coming in, and when they're seeking to put their rod upon our possessions and to take them from us, the thing is, the great danger and the great temptation for God's people is to give in, to give away, give way. We think of what it says in Matthew 24 and 12, how the Lord spoke about the latter days that are wicked days, and he says, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. This is what the psalmist is speaking about here. He says that in these days of rebellion, well, God's people would be tempted to fit in, to uh, take cover, to keep our heads down, to say nothing. And that is a great danger that he is uh, outlining here. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and look at verses Uh, 12 to 13. And here we read about uh, the, um, uh, how the the danger is unfolded. 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 10, and look at verses 12 to 13. Uh, He says, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall, He says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but with the temptation also will make a way of escape, that ye may be able to bear it. And this is the great comfort for the child of God. We are tempted at times to give way and give in. We are tempted to keep our heads down. The Lord says that he will not tempt us and we will not be tried in such a way that we cannot bear it, that the Lord will make a way of escape. And there is a way of escape, and what we need to bring our needs to the Lord at the throne of grace and prayer so that he might give us the strength to stand and be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. So, There you have the promise for God's people. There's a promise of stability, a promise that he'll surround us 
but also a promise of safeguard in the midst of our need. But secondly, I want you to see the prayer for God's people. Look now at verse 4. He says, Do good, O Lord, unto those that be good, unto them that are upright in their hearts. So here is a prayer. He's praying for those that be good. Again, it's a reference to those that trust in the Lord. Our uh, righteousness and our goodness comes from the Lord. But you'll notice that the prayer is prompted by the promises. Um, from the promises, he uh, issues forth in prayer and he says, Do good unto those that be good. Now look at the substance of the prayer. It's a prayer that good be done to God's people. And of course, good is a very general term. And it is general because he wants good in every way to be done to God's people. Um, and we want every type of good to be done to God's people. Now, what is good? Well, ultimately, good is what is in the plans and purposes of God. There are things that we might think as good, but goodness is one of the attributes of God. So what God does and what God plans is by definition good. Now, sometimes it seems as if that prayer is not, a, uh, not answered. Bad things, we think, happen to good people. We, we can think of many instances where bad things happen uh, even to God's people. Maybe you get um, into bother or trouble of some kind, financial trouble, you know, in the midst of the economic crisis. Uh, it affects God's people as well as everybody else. We can um, maybe get a, a, a bad diagnosis. We can have health problems and so on and so forth. But what we need to remember is that God's plans and purposes are always good. Now, you think of Joseph, for example. And Joseph was sold as a slave into Egypt by his brothers. That wasn't good. And then when he was a slave in Egypt, he was lied about by his master's wife, and she was tempting him to do evil, and he ended up put in prison, and that wasn't good. And he languished there in the prison for years, and that wasn't good. And when he had the, uh, um, uh, the opportunity to do good to the uh, uh, Pharaoh's servants, uh, he uh, was forgotten about. And that wasn't good. But you think of what God did through Joseph and how God used him, really. He, he was known as the savior of the world. It's part of the, his picture of how he is, his picture, uh, his typology as, as a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he was able to um, save all the grain in the years of plenty so that when the famine came, there was plenty for everyone. And at the end of his life, and when his brothers were looking at him and wondering with all his powers, the second ruler in the land of Egypt, what he was going to do to them, he said in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass as it is this day, to save much people alive. So, this psalm uh, is a psalm that wants good for God's people. And you think of Romans 8 and 28, 
where it says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. God always knows what he's doing. And it may seem as if we're going through hard times, and it may seem as if some of the way that we need to um, uh, tread has no goodness in it. But what God brings to us is always good. And he teaches us lessons in the hard times. And he teaches other people lessons through what maybe even we go through. But you'll notice the difference between the hope on, uh, the, the hope of many Christians on one hand and the popular, or the, this hope here really, and the popular belief of many Christians. The popular, popular belief is that, well, God will bring us out of this and will bring us to heaven and uh, all will be well in the end. And of course, that's true. That is true. God will bring us out of it and all will be well in the end. But, that, but that's not the full plan because God is going to bring about that new heaven and the new earth. And what he's going to do is restore the original dream where he put man in the Garden of Eden, and that they were blessed. You think of the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And ultimately, that's the good that God has for his people. We see something then of the substance of the prayer. But look at the surety of the prayer, because a desire that God has placed in our hearts is going to be answered. Here's a desire that God had put in the heart of the psalmist. Do good, O Lord, unto those, those that be good. When we pray in the mind and heart of God, that prayer is going to be answered. Spurgeon said about the verse here, he said, faith in God is a good and upright thing, and its influence makes the rest of the man good and upright. To such God will do good, the prayer of the text is but one, uh, another form of promise. For that which God, which the Lord prompts us to ask, he virtually promises to give. So, and surely that's right. As God prompts us to pray, we can be absolutely sure of the answer. So, we see the promise to God's persecuted, and then the prayer for God's people but thirdly, I want you to see the penalty for God's enemies. Look at verse 5. He says, As for such as turn aside unto their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them forth with the wicked or the workers of iniquity. Now, verse 5 then is a warning uh, to those that are tempted to forsake God. Here's a warning to the crooked. Now, you notice the crookedness of this man. John Phillips, in his commentary, takes the little nursery rhyme. There was a crooked man who walked a crooked mile, who found a crooked sixpence upon a crooked stile. He bought a crooked cat who caught a, a, a crooked mouse, and they all lived together in a crooked little house. And John Phillips took that um, little rhyme, and he spoke about the truth of it. Because he said, the crooked man, he says, he walks the pathway of life in a crooked fashion. 
and his business dealings and all that he does, and he spends his money in that which is crooked. He buys a crooked cat, and all that he does is crooked. And he lives in a crooked house. His home life is crooked. He brings up his children and influences them with his crooked ways. And he is a crook. He's bent out of shape. He's not up and down. He's not straight up and down. And he, uh, the, uh, uh, the uh, verse here speaks about those that turn aside to their crooked ways. These people turn aside from the right way. They're turning aside from God's way and from God's laws and God's truth. And they're turning aside to that which is crooked. And we recognize that in so many today. But God knows all about their crooked ways. But look not only at the crookedness of this man, but look at the condemnation. He says, the Lord shall lead him forth with the workers of iniquity. Now, the word iniquity there is a word that has a relationship to the word idolatry. And both are connected. The idolater and the man who's iniquitous, they're they're, uh, pigs of the same litter, really. That's what, and God says that he lead the pair of them forth into judgment. Here's the crooked man. He's going in his crooked way. He's plowing his own furrow. He thinks that he's going to uh, further his own agenda. But God says, no, in the end of the day, I'm going to pluck you out of that place. I'll lead you forth. He thinks he's going his own way, but God says, I'll lead you forth. I'll bring you where you don't want, want to go. And God warns that he will judge those who fail to trust him. He says in 1 John 2, verses 15 to 17, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of the Lord abideth forever. And... Men and women, tonight we see those that suffer condemnation. But not only have we there the penalty of God's enemies, but look at the peace on God's family. Look at the last few words of verse uh, 5. But peace shall be upon Israel. And the psalmist here, he's speaking to people who are challenged, the rod of the wicked, is threatening them, but he uh, prays for peace to be upon them. The word peace, of course, is the word shalom, the Hebrew word shalom. And the Hebrew word shalom means peace, but there is the thought within it, uh, not only of the absence of conflict, but there is the thought of completion and of fullness and of wholeness and fulfillment and unity and a restored relationship. So that's really what he encompasses here in the prayer for God's people. That wholeness, that unity with God, that completion. We feel that satisfaction within our souls. And I want you to see the presentation of peace here. One day we will enter into the peace and rest that the Lord Jesus Christ has purchased for us on the cross of Calvary. We have peace now. We have peace of conscience 
We have peace with God, that peace that passes all understanding. But we think of that peace that will come throughout all eternity. Isaiah 2 verses 2 and 3 says, And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and the nations shall flow into it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us of his ways and we'll walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And the prophecy there in Isaiah ties together so many themes in the Psalm 125. There's the prominence of Mount Zion. There's the preservation of God's people. There's the change in the heart. There's the blessing that comes to God's people in the last days. But not only is there the presentation of peace, but there's the person of peace. Because ultimately, peace is found in the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Ephesians 2 verse 14, For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition against us. And we think of that inheritance that we have been given. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is all in all to us. And one day we'll dwell in his presence and one day we'll sit down at his feet. Thank God there is peace that will be upon Israel, upon God's people. So we see the lessons here in the book or in the Psalm 125. If our faith is in Christ, if we trust in the Lord, we're going to be safe and secure. The mountains are steadfast and surround Jerusalem. Not only are we safe and secure, but we, uh, uh, not only is, are we safe and secure, but our inheritance is secure. The power of the wicked will not be brought nigh us. And then our future is secure because God has made all things good unto his people. So there is the blessing. We have peace. And the Lord Jesus Christ is our peace. He is the Prince of Peace to our souls tonight. So here's the psalmist. He's faced with the challenges. He's faced with the difficulties. The wicked are on his tail. But thank God tonight that the Lord gives peace to those that trust in him. May we learn to rest at Jesus' feet tonight, and may we know his blessing upon our souls. Let's just unite together, please, at the throne of grace in prayer, and let's uh, seek the face of God, remember the meetings, remember our harvest, and pray that God will bring many under the sound of the word. Pray for the Reverend uh, Ormerod and for the Reverend McVeigh, as they come on the Lord's Day as well, and for the singer as well, and uh, that God will use all of these things for his honor and for his glory. Pray for the meetings too that will soon be starting, and um, the other meetings, uh, the children's meeting, junior youth, youth fellowship, and these meetings, different meetings, uh, the um, men's prayer meeting, things like that. All of those meetings will be starting in October. So pray for those as well because uh, October is just around the corner 
Um, so we need to really pray that God will uh, break in as those meetings start. Pray for our missionaries and let's seek the face of God. So let's unite together, please, at the throne of grace. Our loving God and our gracious Father, we thank thee for the great uh, picture that we do have in thy word afresh tonight. We thank thee as the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people. And we thank thee for the fact that even though there are the challenges and even though there are the difficulties and we think of the rod of the wicked, that uh, is very evident in these days. Yet, Lord, we pray that thou wouldst continue to put thy arms around us and safeguard us in thy safekeeping and in thy care. Remember the meetings on the Lord, or Lord's Day. Bless, O God, as thy word goes forth. Be pleased to save souls. Bring in the lost. Bring in the unsaved. Bring them in onto the sound of the word of God, that thy name might be exalted and glorified in these days. And then remember our missionaries, and we think of those that are laboring for thee. We think of those that are on um, uh, furlough at the moment or doing deputations. We think of our sister, uh, Noreen McAfee, who was here a few weeks ago. And we think of uh, uh, the Reverend Kerskadden as he starts on his deputations. We think of our, our brother, Uncle Alvarez, who will be here in a few weeks. And we'd ask that thou wouldst bless him as he goes around the different churches. And Lord, we pray for the blessing of God, that thou wouldst pour out of thy Spirit upon us, and that thou wouldst uh, be with us as we seek to serve thee. Bless us now, we'd ask of thee. Draw us nigh to thee, for it's in Jesus' precious name. I would ask these things. Amen.